Hello. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple, she, her. And y'all, this week, I got to chat with the one and only Amy Jo Jackson. We talk about their cabarets, of which they have many, their new musical that they're working on, dialect coaching, how to create your own content evenings and working with your friends to do so, how to really hone in on your own unique perspective. We share resources. If you are somebody who is in the process of developing your own work or are curious about doing so, this episode is for you. Without further ado, enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. I am Jennifer Appleshe, her, and I am with an incredible guest who I wish, I mean, you can see it if you go and watch this on YouTube because there is the YouTube video, but our guest is wearing the most impeccable <laughs> lipstick shade that I, that matches our like background tone, which matches their hair. Like y'all... I'm here with the incredible Amy Jo Jackson. Hello. 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 <laughs> yes, it's always important in an aural medium to have, uh, you know, a pop of color. I feel like it tracks. It carries. It carries oh, to, completely. The, to the earpods. And it also just literally, like, actually works with our color scheme. It's kind of gorgeous. <laughs> and by kind of, I mean incredible. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, for those who are listening, how... Would you like to introduce yourself today? Who are you today? What do we need to know about you in this current moment? Wow, great. Uh, I'm Amy Joe, AJJ, Ajax, whatever. Um, and let's see, I'm a performer. I am a cabaret artist. I am a writer. Uh, I am a songwriter. I'm a podcaster. I have my own podcast. I Oh, I'm a dialect coach and voice and text person and just general, you know, uh, theater maker yeah. about town and wherever people <laughs> pay me to make theater, really. I feel like about town is like relative because I feel like you literally are about all the towns. True. I feel like, True. I feel like we've, got I the, see we've got the circuit, you know. Yeah. I feel like the full circuit is like realming around. I kind of want to just jump into your, I, I don't even know if like what's time, but like your most recent real large endeavor of your show that you've created, sure. written. I mean, like, I just want to hear all about that from inception to now we can go into it, but like, just let's jump into that. Great. It's, I'm it's wild. assuming you're talking about my musical hatchetation, but I have another show called The Brass Menagerie that I actually Correct. did more recently. Um, uh, but, uh, that I also wrote, um, that one with a little help from Tennessee Williams, but the, yeah. the hatchetation is, uh, original to moi. It is about, uh, the temperance activist, Carrie A. Nation, who lived in Kansas at the turn of the last century. And she was, uh, let's just say peeved at the lack of enforcement of the liquor laws because Kansas was a dry state mm -hmm. at this time. And, uh, so she, at the age of 54, began going into bars with a hatchet and breaking up the contents herself. And so I've uh, written a full-length two-act, ten-actor musical um, with every everyone except for the actor who plays Carrie doubles and plays a ton of different roles. And it's uh, written to be entirely performed by femme, trans, and gender non-conforming performers. And it's wild and zany and anachronistic and extremely 
I would say my aesthetic as a, when creating my own work is walking that line between like extremely stupid and, and yet like hopefully quite smart Brilliant. as well. Brilliant. Thanks. Yeah. We'll take it. Um, I want to say that. <laughs> but yeah, so what I, uh, it was, I had the great honor and good fortune to be selected for the O'Neill um, last summer, uh, NMTC, the National Music Theater Conference. So I went and did that in June and it wasn't, the score wasn't finished yet. Cause mm -hmm. I'm, you know, this is my first musical I've written of any kind, but I've done a lot of like parody lyrics and poetry over the years. So um, the writing aspect came much more quickly to me than the composing aspect. Yeah. Um, so I had an incredible experience there and got a 29 hour reading, which was amazing uh, with an incredible cast. And then, yeah, I, I finished it. That's right. I finished like a rough draft of the score, I think two years to the day of when I like first pitched it to my writing mentor. And I um, felt very good about that, even though now I've rewritten a couple of those songs yeah. since then. But yeah, I mean, you know, just continuing the journey of um, getting the arrangements done and the basic demos and which then sheet music follows after that. Cause I don't, I can read music, but I have trouble, um, I don't play. Mm. Um, so I have trouble. It takes a long time for me to do notation. Whereas for some people, that's a thing they don't have to think about. So they, you know, that's, that's why I work with an arranger and, you know, you have someone transcribe it and do all that. So that just takes time because yeah. I can't do it all. But yeah, that's, that's where that is. It's I have so many questions. Yeah. First and foremost, the story itself is wild. How did yeah. you find that as the idea or what she, inspired this? Well, she's, she's a historical figure that I'd say was much more well-known, like probably to our parents' generation because okay. she died in 1911. So she was just kind of like a wild figure that you'd hear about. And because her name is Carrie A. Nation, the full name is Carrie Amelia Moore. Gloyd was the name of her first husband who died of alcoholism when he was like 27, which kind of lodged her on this whole journey. And then David Nation was her, her second husband. So you know, when your name becomes a verb and a, ma a mantra and a battle cry, basically, she was extremely good at branding. Yeah. She had little hatchet pins made with her name on them that she would sell to pay her train fare. Um, she, and, and hatchetation is a carry nation word. Like that's what she called a smash up. Is, is she'd call it a mm. hatchetation because it's a, she loved a portmanteau as, as do we all. But um, I first, I think I had heard of her, but not really known really anything about her and then I there's a podcast I love called Criminal hosted mm -hmm. by this woman Phoebe Judge and it's really great because it's like a it is a true crime podcast but it's not like super murder heavy really it's more just like really interesting stories of what criminal can kind of take a lot of different um, yeah. meanings so she did this story on Carrie Nation and I was like this woman sounds incredible and but it was before I was really even considering myself a writer, like formally, I was do mainly just doing cabaret and, and solo stuff was the stuff I was making. So I just like filed it away. I was like, oh, I love that. Like I, I bought a hatchet pen off Etsy. I found Obsessed. one of her hatchet pens because I was just like, I really dug the story. And then when I was looking for material, I started taking this developing materials class um, with this woman, Danny Super through uh, the She Collective, which is mm -hmm. a lovely group mm -hmm. run by, by, um, by a couple of awesome uh, women in the industry. And uh, so I was taking this developing materials class thinking I'd work on more solo stuff. And 
she very gently after a couple of weeks was like, you don't need my help with this. This yeah. is a thing you already do. Like, sure, I'll help you with it, but it's not going to take the 10 weeks of this course. What do you want to work on? Yeah. And so I thought I was writing a play and then she was like, I think this is energetically musical. And I was like, how dare you? Absolutely not. I'm not writing a musical. And then like three days later, I was like, oh, God. Oh, Here I'm we go. Musical. Yeah. I just made my job a lot harder, longer, yeah. more expensive. But um, but that's what it wanted to be. Wow. And so that's that's kind of how that that came up. And um and then for yeah. somebody who doesn't say, as you were saying, like your strong suit isn't the like writing of the music or the composing mm -hmm. rather of the music, how do you is it more like you sit and you voice note yourself? Do you plunk it through and then send it to an arrangement? What's your process yes, with kind that? Kind of kind of all of that. What I'll yeah. do, I I um I'm a strong melodist and I'm a decent vocal arranger because I write on my voice, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not that I don't hear like counterpoints and stuff underneath it, but I just don't have the formal training in that way because like, you know, I played piano for a couple of years as a kid and it was just so many steps for my yeah. brain. You know, I think especially as a singer, that just feels like thinking to me mm -hmm. in a way that it did not, I, I got so many stickers for memorization because I would look at it and be like, all right, this is the part that sounds like this. And then my fingers could do it because I knew what it sounded like, which is, yep. you know, how I learn a lot of vocal parts too, is just by memorizing patterns and 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 yeah. having strong oral recall, which as a dialect coach also makes sense that I'm very like, you know, that that's the, the strongest way in which I learn. So I will, I'll usually write and sculpt the melody along with a lyric, but I, I think only one song have I ever written with a musical idea that preceded the lyrical idea. Like I usually will just build music off of what it is. I'll know sometimes vibe wise what I'm after, but, but I, I will build the melody off of the lyric. And then I will sit down with my mic and garage band yeah. and I'll, I'll lay it out depending on the song. If it's more like, so the show is very anachronistic. So I have music that's much more contemporary. So if it's like more of a driving rock song, I'll put basic chords underneath it and then send it off to my arranger and be like, this, but better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can you do this, but more sophisticated, please? Right. Um, but sometimes there's songs that I'm like, it's not really, a, it's too complicated. What I want underneath it to just put chords under it. So I will just like have like a click track or a snap track yeah. and and send her a lot. I'll, I'll always send her a lot of comps, like references, like, I have this one number that's kind of like 70s variety show style. And so okay. I that was the most fun to just like get different videos of like Carol Burnett and Cher yeah. on the Carol Burnett Obsessed. show and like stuff off the Dean Martin show and all that kind of stuff. But three girls, three. Um, so yeah, that's how I tend to do cool. that sort of thing. I, How'd you find your arranger? Uh, her name is Pearl Ryan, and she's an actor, and a tremendous actor and uh, uh, actor muso, as I believe they're called. She was in Great Comet. Okay. Um, she plays the violin and a lot of other stuff, piano. Mm -hmm. um, so I had known her from around because she's also like a Shakespeare actor nerd type person. And we'd taken, we met at a class at the Pearl, well, like 2014, something like that, 2013. Yeah. And then we're just kind of in each other's lives. And I did a Zoom read of some rewrites that I did. And had her read in and then she like emailed me being like hey i think you're a really strong lyricist if you ever need any vocal arrangements let me know and i was like wait a minute i need any arrangements i need piano arrangements yeah. um and so she she dug the music and so she was uh like yeah i'm on board so How i really credit cool. her with being able to get us the o'neill because it's like i may have like strong musical ideas but if i can't like put them across because i don't have that 
skill set. It's like you yeah. need a collaborator. And so she's yeah. she's fantastic and also very funny. So she gets what yeah. I'm after without me having to explain the tone at all, which is Correct. a relief, you know, because that's that's I think where a lot of people get congested even in just like a rehearsal room, you know, yeah. it's like just all trying to get on the same page can be exhausting. And when yeah. you know someone, you're like, no, I already know we're on the same page. Oh, that's so good. Well, I guess my transition then would be doubling back to the fact that you have so many cabarets. Maybe it's like the main one that you have, right? But like, I feel like you are cabaretist. Is that the word? Cabaretist? I use cabarettist, but it's, you know, I Thank spell you. it like a German yeah, cabarettist. But, uh, you know, okay. but I think a lot of people would say cabaret artist, but I think cabarettist has most panache, most We style. love that. So as a cabarettist, talk to me, let's double back to even before when all of that started for uh -huh. you, how the love of that started, how the craft of the development of that started, uh -huh. um, and and I guess the, the morphing of what it was to now, because it's been a whole journey. Yeah. And I'm curious about that. Sure. I've always kind of been interested in doing cabaret, but I didn't, I think I had when I was younger, an idea that it had to be a more formally sculpted written. And then I went and did this kind of thing. So I never <laughs> did it because yes. I just, I was like, what do I have to write about, about myself? That's that interesting that mm -hmm. I would want to sit and listen right. to an hour of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No offense to everyone who's done their and then I moved to New York cabaret, but like <laughs> uh, really, unless you have a, a really interesting version of that, yeah. we all did that. Cause we're all sitting here at the green room 42 watching you do it, you yeah, know? Um, correct. So it's, so I think what I didn't realize when I was younger is what I was experiencing was like, I didn't have a point of view yet. And so I, or, or I didn't know what it was I wanted to say. So I was like, well, I'm not going to spend the time and money to say it. Like I can look back now and go like, that's what the issue was. Mm. So basically I did, it would have been 20, I guess it was 2014. And yes. And uh, I did some cabaret that was a, like a fundraiser. That's right. It was a Broadway cares fundraiser that was, a joint fundraiser between Mark Fisher Fitness and Kinky Boots because there were a ton of people in yeah. Kinky Boots who worked at at MFF and which so I, I was the dialect coach on Kinky Boots from the out of town until we closed in 2019 and um, so I got asked to sing in it because yeah. even though I wasn't in the show I'm a performer and the director Will Nunziata who uh, I now like telling the story I'm like yes this is the most Will move ever I like sent him and Brian Nash who would go on to become like my closest collaborator one of my mm -hmm. dearest friends but this is our first time like well like first or second time really working together was on this thing and I sent them a list of a few songs that might work and they chose of course like the biggest beltiest one and then we yeah. went and I went and rehearsed it and apparently Brian texted Will like oh my this is gonna be really great. Like, yeah. And so Will like comes up to me at soundcheck. He's like, I'm thinking of putting you last. And I was like, what? Because there were like like there were like, I think Katie Huffman and Katie Finneran both performed on Unreal. this thing too. It's like mm -hmm. they're literal Tony winners. Yeah. I can't go last. He's like, I love drama, I love the stakes. <laughs> and I was like, ah, cool. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. So then, yeah, we did it. It was like we did two shows worth. And I, you know, I, I don't normally get nervous to perform, but it did feel like stakes yeah. for me because a lot of these people had never heard me sing. And suddenly mm -hmm. I'm like belting my eyeballs Which, out. Y'all, 
Amy Jo Jackson <laughs> can sing, 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 sing. Yeah. Google, Google the Google. Thank for you. Real. There's so much on YouTube. An embarrassment. Uh, no, YouTube, like a really. plethora, a plethora <laughs> of riches. Yeah. Um, by the way, hot tip to those listening: I have gotten auditions and jobs from YouTube. Put the content out there. Like, just you never know. I got an audition for a principal in a TV show. I didn't book it, but I got that audition because yeah. a woman found me on YouTube looking for singers. I wasn't available for that audition, but then I was right for something else. I uh -huh. never would have been in for something like that if it wasn't for the fact I just had a bunch of stuff available yeah. to find. So yep. hot tip. I had that too. I had that this past year when I did, I did title of show back right, right after as the pandemic, yes, yes. we were coming out of the smoke or whatever. I got an email. Hi, Max Hunter, sliding into my DMs of my emails. <laughs> I almost deleted it. I thought it was spam. And he was literally making me a straight offer to play wow. Susan in title of show because he saw my content online and he did a little bit of a deep dive and he was like, you're right for this. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> mm -hmm. Prove to me you're a real person. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it ended up being an incredible situation and it worked out for all the reasons, but like same, I, he, yeah. I didn't, that was, I had stuff online. I will sidebar to continue this yeah. real quick because Please. before I actually started doing these solo shows, some friends of mine and I wanted more specific content on our YouTube channels. Mm -hmm. I'm, Cause I'm also talking like not the earliest days of YouTube, but you know, this is like yeah. 10 years ago now, probably like 2009, 2010 is when I think I started my YouTube channel. And so I, I was looking for stuff that I could send in with a submission. Yeah. I was like, I, if I'm going in for Sally Bowles, I want to be able to send them a link to me singing colored lights because then they can choose to watch it or not. Correct. But if they're doing pre-screens, at least it's out there. I, and so I started putting together with a few friends. We did a couple of like content cabarets where basically we got like three to six of us together, depending on the night and did a couple of these where we just invited our friends say, wow. look, suggested donation. And we're just like, we would get someone with a camera. And then in one of them, one of our friends had a brother in film school. And so they like came for free, three students, because they were like, well, we don't have anything like this on our reels. Right. So they like brought two cameras and good sound equipment and filmed our dinky little thing. But it, then we all had very specific content that we wanted on our YouTube channels. And it's like that it's great to have video of you in a studio singing something, but if you can get things in front of an audience, it just, I think reads better when I'm looking for people yeah. that tells me more about how you're landing. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously anything is better than nothing, but like, there's so many ways to get content that aren't like, how am I going to produce an entire show? You don't, you don't have to get together. Especially, with friends. Yeah. And especially nowadays that people are used to the idea that like, oh, we're in COVID yes. land and we're all our own quote unquote producers and editors and whatever from our own, the comfort of our own mm -hmm. homes. I think there's this idea and understanding now that like when you put it on in your living room, we know you're in your living room. We're cool with it. Like yes. just own the fact that you're in your living room and then yes. live your best life, you know? So there's a level of, of, acceptance that I think prior to pandemic life, people were more like, you need to rent out that studio or oh, else. Oh God, no. No, 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 no. Yeah. Either, either. Yeah. Don't spend the money at all because there's no need or right. like put in the effort, but share it, share the burden among friends and just like, you know, try to make something fun out of it that Love like that. you will enjoy. So I, thinking about it, those were actually like my earliest like concert producing days. Cause I basically was basically in charge of putting those together and coordinating all of that kind of stuff and just yeah. making sure that it was fun for the people attending and not just like a technical thing for us, you know? Right. Um, so anyway, I did this concert, uh, 54 below. I had my one song and then like less than a week later, I had an email from Will 
asking like, what are your thoughts on me helping you build a cabaret around yourself? I was like, my thoughts are that sounds good. Yeah. Um, Cause I just didn't know how to do it. And we met, he, he also had the end with 54 below. I didn't know anyone there at that point. And he got us a date two months in advance. We had plenty of time to like work on stuff. And Brian came on as MD. And then after that, I was like, oh, this is not hard because also it helped me kind of realize not it's it, there's a lot about a cabaret that's hard, but it was not the parts that I thought were going to be difficult mm-hmm. were not because yeah. for me, I realized I don't need to do a lot of connective tissue in between in the way that I think some people think you're quote unquote supposed to. Yeah. Um, I was like, I can do whatever I want because this is my room and my time and people have yeah. come to see me do my thing. What is my thing? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, I I start with a playlist generally. Any any cabaret I'm doing um, or concert, you know, I'll start with a playlist and kind of like play through it, move the order around, and use it like as I'm walking down the street, kind of like feeling the flow from one thing into the next. Some shows that I've done have more of a through line or or more thematically joined up, but a lot of what I like to do is also just what stuff that feels like a party. And what hmm. stuff that feels like the roller coaster only I can take you on. Correct. And I think that that's when I see, because I see a lot of concerts and cabaret, both good, bad, and fine. Mm-hmm. And I think the stuff that to me really separates the people who are really excellent at it from the people who are, who, who have such potential is a, number one, a willingness to pick stuff that isn't just songs that they sound good on Mm -hmm. to know that it's not that that's not actually the best criteria by which to pick a song in my opinion Mm -hmm. but stuff that's going to yeah help what's the next twist or turn in that in that roller coaster you're taking people on and what's the journey you want to take them on for me i don't like it to be too explicit i mean i have this one show called i want to be your man that's all material originally written for men that's pretty explicit with the premises and it's very easy to like, you know, there it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to pull the rug out from underneath the audience. Like I I like people to get very comfortable and think we're doing one thing and then be like, Oh, now I'm crying. That wasn't my plan. You know, I love that. That's, that that's why people see you. I think that you're getting to the point, which is at least for me, like what I'm hearing is that people want to see your cabaret because that is the journey that they are going on, that it is this unexpected and yeah. um, honest version of what you deliver, yeah. you know? Yeah. my my uh, The thing that I think really elevates the people who are the best at this form, for me, because there are the best means different things to different people, right? Yeah. Are people who I watch their set list and I feel like I don't understand how they thought of that. Because it feels so surprising and yet so inevitable that I'm like, how do you think of that? But also, how did I not already think of that? Right. Um, Salty Brine is a cabaret performer who I think is magnificent at this. He performs at Joe's Pub a lot. Um, Bridget Everett, obviously, just like, you know, a freaking master. Um, Taylor Mack. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then you have someone like Marilyn May. who The woman's 94. She's been entertaining since you know the 60s earlier and she she gets up there and she starts out like the last time i saw her a few months ago she just she did like a whole 
epic long medley about rainbows and like it was all like so nice and light and fun and kind of light entertainment and then she gets about halfway through the show and I was just crying and then well I forget what all she was doing but then she sings 50 percent and I was like a weeping mess and then what did she start after that she started it wasn't if you walked into my life but it was something like that and I just turned to I was there with my brother and I was like She's trying to kill me. Oh, I know what it was. It was Joey from Most uh, Most Happy Fella. That's what it was. She went straight from 50% into Joey. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to take it. But it's that kind of thing. It's like, she's just so confident. And like, Mm -hmm. I can take up space in the way I want to take up space. Because number one, I'm 94 and I've earned it. But also like, I I have the confidence because I've been doing this for so many years. And I I know like that assuredness. And Mm -hmm. I know I go to a Marilyn May show and I'm going to, be taken care of and have an amazing time yeah um but she's not she's not an alt cabaret performer like right. Bridget Everett or someone like that but she's just someone who was like so yeah so honest and true to what it is that she does better than anybody else correct well how have you found for yourself I know we're like bouncing around but this is this is where <laughs> we are um how have you found that the the you working in a cabaret format has informed all the other ways in which you show up as an artist. Has it? Do you find that you bring parts of yourself into these other things? Is it like the other parts inform the cabaret? Is it just a mutual information situation? Like what is that? Yeah, I mean, blend? I think everything that you do as a human informs who you are as an artist, right? Amen. There's there's this great quote from a sculptor whose name escapes me. Um we are a landscape of all we have seen. Mm-hmm. And I really, I love that. Um, and that's also what makes each artist so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything from a visual artist to, you know, someone who is a producer that mixes, yeah. you know, uh, a pop hits. It's just your own experience and, and references are what's going to, to uniquely inform your, your worldview. So of course, as someone who's now at this point done a lot of cabaret, that influences how I walk into an audition room. Probably sometimes to, I don't want to say my detriment because I don't, that's not even what I mean, but it's, it has clarified my aesthetic point of view and what I want to spend my time on. Mm. So I'll still go to an EPA, but like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do exactly the material I want to do, not in an aggressive, like screw you kind of way. But like, for instance, one of the last EPAs I went to before everything shut down, they were doing a, a full season and they said, feel free to sing from the show for the character you would like to play. Mm-hmm. And they were doing Joseph. So I went in and sang those Canaan days. Good now, on. clearly they weren't looking for a femme presenting brother, but I'm like, mm-hmm. that's, I have to tell you the lack of interest I have in playing the narrator. Like I, yeah. I know I'm never going to audition for that because I do not mm. want to do it. Good. But what I absolutely like want to play Ruben or whoever it is, depending on which version you're doing, like, yeah, that's the best part in the show, <laughs> singing in a stupid French accent and, you know, grandstanding. But like, I'm going to walk in and do what I actually want in a stronger way, I think, than I did before, because I I have more confidence in how I take up space. That's not to mm-hmm. say I'm like impervious to other people being 
energetically awful because I'm extremely yeah. spongy. Um, and it, I'm not somehow above that just because I've stood on a stage by myself now for a long time. But I think it has strengthened a lot of that and also just strengthened my, yeah, my ideas of, of what I want to be going in for. It's sharpened and honed my, my viewpoints and my, just my whole artistic being. I wouldn't have written an entire musical if I hadn't started doing cabaret. Like for me, there's a very mm. clear linear journey. Like I, I've done all these shows that have gotten more sculpted as I've gone along. Um, so I have the Brass Menagerie is like the most recent solo show that I've done, yeah. which is, it is fully scripted. Like there's full Tennessee Williams scenes. It's, it's a lecture. It's structured as a lecture on Tennessee Williams, on the women of Williams, but it's so stupid. And when I tell you it's so stupid, it's, so, there's one part where I introduce the rose tattoo and I just sing Bette Midler's The Rose in a heavy Italian accent. That's the entire <laughs> bit. It doesn't change. Um, but then for so many of the rest of them, I'm like changing lyrics to yeah. the whole Cat on the Hot Tin Roof segment of songs from Cats. Like I, I'm not, unreal. you know, it's, it's only highbrow if, if you're, if you somehow think <laughs> my, my, my stupid jokes aren't pulling the legacy of Williams down. Um, but like that, that then led me to go like, oh, I actually like have a lot to say that might be able to be actually like written text mm. and not just expressed through curation, which is what I think of a lot of cabaret as like how you're hanging the art on the walls is how you're crafting your set list. You know, what yeah. experience do you want someone to have when you walk into an art gallery? I do think of like a set list like that. Um, but yeah, I, w I don't think I would have made it to the realization that I was really ready and capable of writing a full book musical mm. for multiple performers. If I, I hadn't been spending so much time honing my voice yeah, and I don't mean my singing voice, yeah. like my point of view and what is worth all the agony of trying to get people to come see your show right. to do. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, cause that's all, that's all we have. Right. I think we forget. And yeah. by we, I'm just going to like make the massive generalization is so often we forget that that is our superpower. <laughs> like yes. the reason you exist as an artist is because of how you show up and the stories you yeah. tell and the perspective that you have, right? Where there's, especially when I was younger, I just think back to a lot of what I was taught, frankly, and told is the way to show up and all of the unlearning that I had mm -hmm. to do in order to p tear that down and realize like, no, all of you are trying to make me small. I am not a small person. I have a lot of thoughts and I'm very smart and I yeah. am quick and that is my superpower. And you trying to, m you know, minimize me in is actually taking away from the art that's being created. There yeah. are people like me and then the people who are not. And that's the whole point. If you don't like me, cool, go find the person who's not me. But if you don't see who I am, you're not going to know that you don't want that. Correct. <laughs> you know, like, Correct. So, if I'm trying to hide it by by disguising myself as a cucumber when I'm a tomato. Yeah. And I'm I'm a bomb ass tomato. I don't know if I would consider myself. I think I'm more of like an avocado, maybe. <laughs> if I'm thinking out vegetable, loud. vegetable. If you yeah. want to be a vegetable. Like when I'm ripe, ooh, it's good. And you can do a lot <laughs> with it. But like when it's like when it's not the time, like it's not the time. I then do not peel. They yeah. don't, they can if they're like in it's, but it's like really very specifically timed. I don't know. I might have to think about like what, right. It's also like a fruit. Is it a fruit? Avocado is a fruit. Is I think it? a tomato is technically a fruit too. Right. So that's what uh, I mean. Like keeping them guessing. Like, I love that life. That's cool. Like I just have, maybe this is, I have to unpack this on my own, but I think this is a wonderful segment segue into 
kind of as you were talking, and I know this is something that you enjoy talking about as well, this idea that we have been told about like type, right? Uh That we've been taught and told that this, that there are these buckets that we must fit into by systems in place for a really long time. And there are people who are hopefully trying to dismantle that. None of that to be said. Here we have this word of type and brand yeah. and all of those those buzzwords. So I'm curious to just to start, what is your definition of type? The way that people yeah. know it. Yes. So for for the listeners and even someone who's looking at me can't tell this. I'm basically six feet tall. I've never been terribly thin, but even when I have lost a lot of weight, turns out I was still really tall and i have always presented as kind of more mature uh and worldly even though i grew up super sheltered you know and so i got i got cast in a certain way from a very young age which i now understand as like to type quote unquote being cast to type but Mm -hmm. you're in school and they tell you you're a character actor and i'm like what does that mean is it code for fat is Mm. it just you're not dainty or I don't believe you as a young person even Mm. though you are a young person who quite frankly is tall but still looks very young like when Mm -hmm. I was 20 I was 20 you know so as I've gotten older I've kind of redefined type for myself as like what is the through line that you bring to every performance regardless of what the role demands. So for me, for instance, I know my type is I play intense people. Mm-hmm. I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm doing something like Boeing, Boeing, that makes a lot of sense. I've played the German and Boeing, Boeing a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And like all the production stills are of my jaw practically being unhinged because I'm screaming <laughs> it so loudly. But then that also really applies to fun home. That's mm-hmm. an intense person. Um, I don't, do casual well. It's why I don't do a ton of contemporary stuff mm-hmm. uh, unless the language is heightened because I just don't do casual well. And it, it's not even that I play anxious people. It's that I play intense people. And that's really helped me reframe what am I going to put myself out for? How mm-hmm. do I see the world and how does like a person who's super intense see the world? So I would just encourage people to think about their type as being more of a quality rather than a physical descriptor or or even something like quirky or mm. saucy, you know, that's sure fine. But like what, what that can, that can be applied so broadly and to me feels quite generic. Like, yeah. and, and to, to someone else intense might seem generic. So it is also about language that works for you, but to think about it in a way that has nothing to do with how I might be looking at a given point in time, either with weight or hair or whatever. Um, but more, what is the quality that is the through line in every role I've ever felt I was successfully cast in? Mm. And, and I think that that has been a more liberating yeah. way of thinking about it for me. Um, if you were it, to sit with yourself for somebody who is newly approaching perhaps this word or this idea and concept uh-huh. about it, is it more like let's sit down with myself, close my eyes and think about the way in which I feel most myself when I show up into a room? Is it more about 
what are the like if i think about all of the roles that i dream to play what is the commonality through those what is the angle through which yeah, one could I, find I will, that i'm a lister so i would do the latter for me it's like it was like looking at my resume and looking at the stuff that i wished were on my resume mm -hmm. and being like well what story is this telling not not in a businessy like what is this telling someone who's looking at my resume but like what is this telling me about like what what is the invisible thread I see connecting all of these things mm -hmm. like and what what are the parts of these roles I feel like I was most successful in conveying or that I most connected to most immediately what is it about the parts that I feel like I could walk into tomorrow mm. that why 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 is that about that you know and like there are other things that I think like would would be a decent descriptor for me too you know I I play high status I often will play non-humans you know, um, I've played a lot of like witches, fairies, octopus, you know, um, <laughs> I've played a planet. Uh, wow. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, oh. But it's so like that. that's another thing, too. I was like, okay, like kind of more creature ethereal stuff. But to me, mm -hmm. uh, intense is more tactile because that's something that I can read and I can look at it on the page and know I, I know how to get into that. I think mm -hmm. maybe that's it. It's looking at what is your way in and, okay. and what excites you about working on particular things, you know? So it, it might even be like, for some people, this might be less of like a, an adjective and might be more like, Hey, I'm, I am a, I'm a classics queen. You know, mm -hmm. I thrive in a period piece. I, I make the most sense on a stage when I am in like, when I am in Shaw, or when I am, you know, doing this or that, you know, and then there'll be people who like, I, I'm the most me if I'm playing like, like a gritty kind, but to think about it as a project thing and as about like uh, the colors with which you paint mm. rather than what people see when they look at your headshot, which yeah. is a useful tool, but it is a tool and is not the thing that defines you. You'll change your headshot however many times over your career, you yeah. know, as you shift and change and grow. But like, it's just information. But I, I think, especially when you're younger, you get talked to about type so much. Once, yeah. once you've been around a bit too, I do think you get a little freed from this because you have a body of work. Then you can talk about that rather than about a potential body of work. Mm -hmm. But I think if I, when I were younger, if I were able to think of it as like, I don't know, you're just going to play like really intense people. You're going to play mentors. You're going to play maybe people who have like a really strong, I've played quite a few nuns, you know, like spiritual connections, but something that is like you're vibrating at like kind of a maybe weird or higher frequency, mm -hmm. you know, a magenta and Rocky horror, something like that, like creature stuff that would mm -hmm. have been more useful to me because it wasn't telling me anything about myself that I was perceiving as bad. Right. It was more like something I could actively search out, think about and get excited about rather than trying to shift myself into a box that I was like, I don't know, is this the right place to be? Is this going to make an yeah. agent like me? Well, I think that's it too, right? We're like one, one way in is by seeking the validation of others. So it becomes yeah. this external way of processing where the yeah. other one is this internal processing of let's go inside. Where am I at? What do, what stories do I want to tell? What am I yeah. drawn to material wise? The words that I want to say, how I want to be expressing myself mm -hmm. as a human being first and foremost. Like I think, I think for me, that's the, the other part of type that 
I guess I'm, I would love to dismantle. I really just, I rarely use it because I feel. Oh, well, I think it's it's terrible. It's awful. Yeah. And by rarely, I mean, I don't know the last time (laughs) I ever have. Um, But I, you know, I think for me, it's like, I, I think about the stories that I know I can bring humanity towards. Like, I think for me, that is my typing, right? Or I'm using massive quotes for those who are listening and not watching this on YouTube. Um, But I think like there are some stories that I, I can absolutely anybody can tell the story is that quote unquote right no however like where where am I going to best serve that story and the way in which uh-huh. I can bring the world off the paper through me as like the vessel I think for me that has been a helpful reframing of quote unquote typing yeah. because that is also another way for me to decide like, oh, is this material that I actually want to be doing Yeah, and should be doing, frankly? You know, you'll get, you'll get material for an audition. I'm thinking of this show that I went in for, went in, it was on Zoom because it was, you know, 2021. Um, yep. But I, I went in for this show that I was one page into the script when I, you know, got the call back and I was like, oh, yes, this Mm. is right for me. This is actually, this worth talking about a thing with actors. So I was called in for two roles in this show and I started reading it and by like page three, I was like, they've called me in for the wrong parts. I get why they called me in for these Mm -hmm. and they don't know me. This casting office didn't know me, but I should be called in for this other part. They were still seeking it. I was like, I, I get why they made that decision, but I think they're making that decision based on not having quite enough information, which I do because I'm the actor and I had to like put the, and all the sides were in a drop box. And so I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do all the sides that they've requested and I'm going to do this side for this other character. Cause it's a monologue and they can watch it or not. Cause I'm uploading right. it separately under actors access. I'm not forcing them to watch it. I didn't like put it at the beginning of my videos or something mm-hmm. like that. I put it in and I put in the, the little like note section. I was like, by the way, I, I really feel like I'm most appropriate for this part. Um, so I put it on tape just in case you wanted to take a look at it. Cause ultimately yeah. like as, as an actor, you're, you're hopefully like part of putting the puzzle together for them. Correct. And I got called back for that part because Good it wasn't the right part you. for me, but it also was like reading that script. I was like, okay, yeah. All these characters are like super intense. It's super athletic. The language is heightened, but very anachronistic. It's extremely funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is all the stuff that I do really well, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's like looking like what are the kinds of stories I want to tell and how do I best show up in those, you know, mm-hmm. and how, what, what do I do that's, and this is the thing that certainly I wasn't taught well enough in school. What are the gifts I have to give that make me special? Yes. Not just like, oh, you have great stage presence, which mm-hmm. I, is a lovely thing to hear, but that's not anything I have ever tried to do right. anything about and certainly Correct. not something that I can shape. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to like, oh, you know what, you're really good at this sort of thing. If you just like worked on this area, you might be able to expand your skills in this area. Maybe you should like, like work on like, you could have like a more, uh, you could have a more variation in your movement palette, but your, your vocal work is already like really fantastic. And so like, just keep developing that. And then, you know, that, that will make you harder to catch. In, yeah. in regards to like, you'll be very, it'll be very easy for you to go in and cold read heightened text at a moment's notice if you have mm-hmm. to, you know. Um, but I do think that it's also partially that it's like really honing in on like, you know, what, what do I excel at and what mm. makes me excited? 
because there are also things going back to the narrator thing. Yeah. I'm good at belting really high. I don't want to play that part. Yeah. I have no desire. You know, yeah. it's like other people would murder <laughs> many people to play Alphaba. And right. I could not care less about that. <laughs> and I feel like if you're going to go through the, frankly, trauma of having to play that part eight times a week, you should mm. really want to do it. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, talking so, about the things that you do really well, um, as a dialect coach, yeah. you're very good with heightened language. You're very good with language and sound, as we have discussed just generally. How did that kind of come to be? What feelings do you have as you do that? Are they different than you when you are performing? Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. And it's we're a, done. <laughs> it's a very natural outgrowth of my skill set as an actor. I was always mm -hmm. very good at dialects. And so it made sense that that would be, not everyone who's good at something can teach it. I do come from a long line of teachers. Mm -hmm. So there's also that. It's like a natural um, a natural fit based on what I'm good at, which yeah. is teaching, communicating things to people and like making these sounds. I'm also very anal retentive, which works really well when yeah. you're like, well, you're not actually shaping the awe. Uh, it's too far back in the mouth and actually you could get your lips more around it, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm Yeah, I have a very strong ear and I'm extremely pedantic. Um, so yeah, I started doing that basically in college. It was a TA for my work study in uh, the voice and speech department my senior year. And so then we moved to the city and everyone would ask me. And eventually I was like, you know, I don't think anything of paying my friends who are accompanists to right. play. Why don't I charge people yeah. for this? And so, um, yeah, it just kind of followed from that. And because there's not nearly as many people who do that as do acting, there's a lot of more of jobs available and you get referred a lot. Yeah. I will say for a while, it was so great because it got me into rehearsal rooms mm. instead of my retail job. Yeah. But after a certain point, really after Kinky Boots and then a couple of um, big workshops that I was on, I was in the rehearsal rooms so much behind the table, which I don't, I don't mind, you know, but I was just like, I am, there's not enough time for me to be Do an actor it. in the way mm -hmm. I want to be. I was trying to keep it 50, 50, thinking that that quote unquote should be enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a moment where I was like, um, is it my ego that's keeping me trying to pursue acting? Should I actually just go full-time into voice and text work? Mm. That's a very natural thing for a lot of people to do. There's just more work. Yeah. Um, and you can command a higher price at different, you know, because it's just a more specialized skill. Yeah. And I thought about it and I was just like, well, even if it is just my ego, I, I still think I want to be acting. And so I stopped taking gigs that would require me to be in the rehearsal room like three to five days a week. Mm. I was like, I'm only going to do like consulting or smaller projects. Um, just not things where I need to be on site all the time. Um, and then I was still working on kinky boots, but by that point it was more just like come in, you know, go, go on tour for a couple of days, watch the show, blah, 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 come in yeah. at my leisure. They were really chill about that. Um, so that, that was more like at that point it was running itself in a much easier way. And I didn't have to be there all the time. And so I, I really learned from that, like, Oh no, I need to be acting far more than 50% of the time in order to feel like I'm the artist I want to be. Yeah. Um, and so now I, I definitely still do a lot. I mean, you know, I, I, I worked on space dogs, um, mm -hmm. but that was the kind of thing where like, they only needed me to come in a few days and to one preview. Like they didn't, it, they didn't need me to be there 
suddenly for four weeks, you know, right. and for the right project, I might still do that sort of thing, but it would really have to be the right project. And also for me, I now I feel more comfortable accepting positions where it's a show I couldn't really be in. Mm. I found a lot of directors who didn't know me beforehand were don't realize I I'm not a hobbyist as a performer. Right. And that I think really <laughs> makes yeah, me really hard. defensive. And I don't like to have that energy in a room. Yeah. Um, but like I did a dialects for a Sherlock Carol that was off Broadway um, over the holidays, but that was a room full of people I have worked with as an actor, including the director. So mm -hmm. like, I didn't feel like I had that that part of my identity was being squashed. It was in fact useful because they were doing right. a comedy and, and I, you know, that I, I just found that to be a much easier, gentler room for me because mm. of that, rather than like, I don't know, I, as someone who like has such um, identity, I, I have so many feelings about my identity as a, as a performer. Mm. Um, I get a little weirdly touchy about that. And I'm just like, trying to find ways to not rile that up, yeah. you know, and a lot of that's who you're working with and how often you have to be in the room. So yeah. I, I find it's really helpful for me to also, if, if I could do more voice and text directing kind of stuff that I find really more creatively juicy than dialect coaching, but it's just also important for me to feel like I can work with the actors in a creative way. So it doesn't feel like pedantic and mm -hmm. like there's a right and a wrong way. Like we can craft something together. If I have the time to do that with the actors, it makes it more fulfilling for me. But I will say it is the day job. I have, after many years of doing it, I will say it is definitely like, I love that it's creative. I love yeah. that my day job is something that's still in the arts, but it definitely feels sometimes like, eh, now I have to go, you right. know, do my thing that pays the bills before I can go do the fun, silly stuff that I like to do, you know, yeah. wherever. Yeah. You are so I mean, we're all growing, but it feels, and learning, but it feels like you are so clear about, at least in this moment, who you are and the worlds you would love to occupy, the spaces that you feel most seen and heard in, the the strengths that you have to pull from to bring into a room, recognizing that that is a gift for others. Like, I feel like these are such incredible pillars for artists generally. And it's just really awesome to hear that. And not that I don't know this. That's why you're literally on this podcast because I think you're like <laughs> dope as hell. But, but it's just so cool to hear it throughout all of the ways in which you show up in your artistry mm. and that it's consistent consistency is such a weird word because it it seems like it takes away all of like the joy and the fun and the creativity out of it because you're consistent and you show up in this but it's but there's something about knowing in in an authentic honest way uh -huh. when somebody is consistent that you know the type of human that they are when they show up no matter what they're doing and there is a reliability in that that allows the others in the space to actually bring themselves because uh -huh. there's nothing frenetic about that yes there's just no reason for a rehearsal room to feel so frantic. I mean, I, I can think of a few reasons, but like the number of times I've been in a rehearsal room, I'm like, why are we all, myself included, mm -hmm. freaking out in this moment? Yeah. We're just making a stupid play. Yeah. Like we're doing a farce. Why are we all about to kill each other? Right. Like that seems, right. what? Like when you take a step back, which I have been trying to, 
yeah. also get that's part of it too is getting better at stepping back in the moment rather than mm-hmm. like later being like oh you know what I got a little I got a little heated there and I'm I'm very you know I was raised in the the well I was raised in Texas uh where it is very um non-confrontational in many ways mm. is is the the means the mode of communication mm-hmm. so instead I'll like bottle it up and sit on it and resent it for years and yeah. as I move forward in my life I'm like I don't I don't want or need to carry that around. Why am I letting so-and-so take up space in my psyche? Exactly. They still do, some of these Mm -hmm. people, but I find that it's more people from the past when it was much harder for me to let go of those things Mm -hmm. than now where I am more quickly able to like extricate myself you know, psychically from the yeah. situation and be like, do you do oh. that by simply just being like, all right, let's take a step back. Ha ha. This is a farce. Why am I being not, so serious? Not necessarily. Cause some rooms that's just not going to happen. Some yeah. rooms they're just hostile people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of one farce in particular I worked on where the director was just like, I don't even want to get into it or I will get right, upset because cool. it was mm-hmm. just like, but you know, it's by like talking about it with my therapist. It's about writing about it. Like, like just like freehand journaling, just so you can I this is a thing I found very helpful when I'm on a regional gig and so you're like in the bubble and maybe things yeah. are not going well with a couple of your coworkers doing like a few pages of freehand in the morning very morning pages style helps me burn off some of that so I don't walk into the room with yesterday's right. like pissy mood I can just walk in and be like you know what it does suck that they said that but I can still go in and try and see if today could be a good day yeah. breathing also it's really about letting myself breathe through the situation rather than clench truly it's just that like teaching my body i don't need to hold on to this i don't need to hold on to this you know um and then really when you are in a situation that is good and is healthy really taking stock of that Mm -hmm. talking about it i talk when i'm in a good situation i make sure i talk about it with my therapist a lot because i know my brain that loves to hold on to things that tell me I am bad and worthless. Mm-hmm. I need to habituate telling myself I am good. I am actually easy to work mm. with when I'm working with someone who's there in good faith, mm-hmm. you know? And so I need to constantly be affirming and habituating like, this is good. This went well, yeah. you know, I, and, and to find those people and work with them a lot. Because it's just, none of us need to be in hostile situations. There are people who are great to work with for everyone. You know, you hear horror stories about some people that other people love. I'm like, all right, well, then they should work with them. And I need to go to a situation that's different. So a lot of it is after the fact, unfortunately. But I am getting, the after the fact is happening faster and faster as I do more work on myself. So good. Yes, that's so good. I love Mm -hmm. that. On that note, what a wonderful little bow of everybody work on yourselves no that's not the takeaway with this that's not therapy the takeaway necessarily great, friends. Therapy, therapy is great. great before we before we go away for now is there anything that is currently on your mind and your heart that we i know we we bounced around a bunch but anything that is like left that you want to leave the listener with that we did not get to um i did want to give some dialect resources that i get asked about a lot love i could just do that um, I will say this is as someone who's listening to a podcast like this is probably a person who's less likely to do the sort of thing I'm about to say, but there are a lot of people who I would say are working acquaintances to medium friends who will sometimes drop into my DMs or shoot me a test, a text asking for like hints or this or that when it could be Googled mm-hmm. or when they could 
hire me. So I'm just saying I'm on a podcast where I am giving this information gladly as a resource for free. Mm -hmm. And there are many people who in interviews will do this sort of thing. Go yeah. listen to an interview or Google and don't necessarily ask people for something that is a service that they should be compensated for. Mm. Um, there are, I'm about to give you a bunch of ways to do like dialect work on the cheap. Great. Um, Take out your pens and papers. We can yeah. also put this in the show notes too. For sure. So these are, I mean, there's probably many of your listeners who will already know these, but the best resource, the, the two best resources for me that I use for everything are dialectsarchive.com, mm -hmm. which is a collection. It used to be idea. So if you also Google inter international dialect of uh, English archive, you'll find many, 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 many recordings from all over the world. It's so great. Um, and they're reading the same passage over and over and over. So you can hear them, compare them to different regions. That's a great resource. But the best is YouTube. You just have to know what to look for because right. a lot of people will just like search accents and then you're finding people doing accents. You're finding people doing like a tour of blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's great. Um, but there's, there's so many like beauty vloggers and people who like, I have found people doing the weirdest things that mm -hmm. have been great dialect samples. So you might not always know what a great dialect sample sounds like, but just poke around and find things that will help you get into the text. Because ultimately, dialect work is just there to help you storytell better, mm -hmm. right? It's not, you're not trying to literally fool anyone. You're not a spy. You know, you're not in the Americans where you're going to get like executed by someone if, if someone <laughs> finds out you're not American, right? So um, just poking around, finding um, like politicians giving speech in English, speeches in English, travel videos where it's like come to the town of Killarney and they have someone doing that like be creative in what you're looking for and trying to find local news stories are great mm -hmm. weather channel stuff you know there's there's all sorts of things that you can find also podcasts are a great resource because people podcast from all over there's like you know uh I was trying to find cork accents for uh, this production of once I was coaching and and mm. I found a, a lot of great podcasters from cork uh, radio shows that had been put onto podcasts. There's just so many resources available to you. Just dig a little deeper than, you know, uh, London accent, mm -hmm. you know, because there's, there's a ton out there that you can use for self-study. Um, so that's what I would say for the, the dialect stuff. And if you're at all interested in cabaret, I just think it's best to see a bunch of stuff, whether that is in person or online so you can understand what you are responding to and what you are not. Drag shows are great too for that. Like mm -hmm. just, just to see different people with singular voices and visions. And, and it's not that you want to copy that, but it's like what, what has made that person so unique and so specific. And watching other people find that in themselves, I think is a, one of the ways you can unlock that in your own work, you know, is again, not to copy, but to, to, to daydream about how they got there and to like look at material and go like, what, how do I see this? And mm -hmm. what can I put it up against that might be surprising that makes sense in my brain, but might not make sense to, it might not be the first thing that someone yeah. else would think of because they haven't lived it. I have. So that's how I'd say. That's also look at that sort of thing. The most. Thank you for all of that. I hope y'all took notes and also you can listen to this back because this is a yes. podcast. Um, with that, thank you so, so, so of much course. for taking time, for being here with us, for sharing so openly. Um, 
how can the listener respectfully and kindly reach out to you? Yes. Let me also be clear. I love people reaching out and I love if someone's asking me, Hey, how do I get to be a dialect coach? That is a different question than can you do my homework for me? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. Um, Which is what that other one can feel like. Um, I'm very accessible via Instagram at Amy Jo Jackson. That's Joe J O not J O E. And, um, my website, amyjjackson.com, has a contact form. I also have a podcast that I co-host with my partner called And Almost Starring, where we'll we'll watch a film and we'll fantasy cast it, and then we'll talk about who was up for it, who was almost casting it, who was casting, who was fired, and it's it's very fun. So that. um, that's that's that as well. We also have an Instagram at And Almost Starring. Um, yeah, and I have a drag king character called Nigel Kane. Uh, you can find somewhere on my Instagram as well. But it's a fairly recent development in my life, but I love him very dearly. He's he's Michael Caine's um, less famous, but more fun younger brother. I am living. Yeah. <laughs> I'm living for this. Oh my God. And she goes and Googles this right now. Uh-huh. That's where I'm, that's where it's real find me right after this. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, more soon. Yes, please. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And thanks listener for listening. <laughs> Whether you hop onto YouTube and type Amy Jo Jackson and see the content that pops up, or whether you sit at your computer or with a pen and paper and start to put your thoughts and feelings and ideas into action, I hope that this episode inspired you to create in some way, whatever way that is for you today or the next day or the day after that. If you like this episode, please like, follow, and most importantly, review us. This lets us reach other artists who would like to hear these types of conversations as well. Also, share it with your friends, because who doesn't like to discuss these things after the fact with people who are nearest and dearest to you? If this wasn't for you, just let it slide. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, and on our website at EmpoweredArtistCollective.com. It is not lost on me that you keep tuning back into this podcast and it truly, truly, truly warms my heart. And we will see you back here again next week. Until then.